Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today I'm joined again by my friend John Presnell for a discussion of Brian De Palma's Blowout. This is the third and last installment of our trilogy on liberalism, paranoia, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, whatever happened to our understanding of privacy and loneliness, techniques of surveillance that invade privacy and at the same time force us to express ourselves, our individuality, in ever more public ways. We have talked about Michelangelo Antonioni's blow-up, about London in the 60s and the new world of beautiful images that tantalize us and that give us erotic desire for everything that we could possibly have to have the great glamorous life. And then we went on to the 70s, the backlash, you could say, with Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, where it's not image but sound, it's not beautiful lies but the ugly truth that is at the core of the story. And we see privacy invaded by the recording of sound in a way that announces the surveillance state we're living with now. And today we are going to Brian De Palma. This is a hard act to follow, Coppola and Antonioni, and De Palma is not often ranked in the same category of masters, but he should be. We have before argued that the use of immorality and shock and vulgarity in De Palma is very thoughtful and morally defensible, at least some of the time. And in this case, we want to show that we can have a movie about movie making. That is to say, something that puts together Coppola's insistence on sound and Antonioni's insistence on sight. Capturing photographs or capturing sounds in recordings in the two other movies. Now, there's a kind of difference that's immediately obvious. Those other movies, you could say, were not just artful, but theoretical. This movie is way more practical and way more popular, not to say downright vulgar. It's the kind of R or X-rated movie at that. It's a movie about people making movies and also about politics in a far more practical way than the other two movies, which alluded to the crisis that is going to hit our politics because of what our new technologies reveal about ourselves and encourage us to do, but they never got to the political issue. Here we have a political story, a thriller, a conspiracy. We have all the pretty ideals of America and the bicentennial year. The setting is Philadelphia this time, the Liberty Bell, but we also Mm. have all the ugly, nasty stuff and the presidential scandals, and the evil and the corruption of power. That's what I mean when I say that De Palma is practical rather than theoretical in his filmmaking. This is about the relationship between poetry and politics. So John, thanks for joining me again. You and I must be the most devoted defenders of De Palma at this point. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not doing this alone, (laughs) to say the least. Thanks for joining me. Well, I'm glad to be here again, Titus, for this movie, 1981, written and directed by Brian De Palma, starring John Travolta, Nancy Allen, John Lithgow is in it. And like you said, our setting is in Philadelphia, and we have some kind of celebration coming up called a Liberty Day celebration, celebrating the Liberty Bell as the city of Philadelphia is gearing up for this. We're also in the presidential season, so there's an election coming up, and a governor is challenging a sitting president for the nomination of his party. And so this sets the general parameters of America in the late 70s. And uh, our character, John Travolta, Jack Terry, 
we find out is a sound man. So we had a photographer and blow up. We had a recorder of surveillance in the conversation. And here we have a sound man again in Blowout, who does Foley effects for exploitation movies. Low-budget, sexy murder thrillers with names like Bloodbath and Bad Day at Blood Beach and Co-Ed Frenzy and the so on. And he's told by his boss that he needs to go out and get some sound. The wind they've been using in their movies is old wind. He needs new wind. And so he goes out one night in Philadelphia and is recording sounds. He gets some lovely sounds of wind, of, of a frog, of an owl that we see. And he just happens also upon a car crash where he hears an explosion. The car goes tumbling into the water. And immediately John Travolta is there as an eyewitness, ear witness to this event. He goes down. There's a girl in the car. He saves the girl. He's not able to save the driver. We find out later on that this driver was that governor who was going to challenge the president for the nomination. And all of a sudden we begin, maybe we have possibility of a conspiracy here. As our character, John Travolta, listens to the tape, turns out there just happened to be some photographs made of this crash as well, released in a Newsweek-like magazine, just like the Sapruder film was released frame by frame in Newsweek or Time of its day. Our movie maker character is able to sync the video with the audio, and sure enough, what we have here is a conspiracy. He sees that rather than a blowout, it wasn't an accident. The tire was shot out with a gun, and so he wants to get this published, reveal the conspiracy. He wants justice to happen. He wants the corrupt to be exposed and be prosecuted, but he fails to do this. And so we end with the movie and our hero throughout trying to expose this corruption, awaken the American people to the threat to their liberty during Liberty Day, and he's incapable of doing it. Yeah, there's quite a tragedy to this, and it might seem like low-rent tragedy or horror at first, but it's that serious. At the end, we are back in the studio where they're syncing sound to this porn movie, and John Travolta is clutching his face in misery and suffering because the sound we're hearing, the scream, what does it take to get a real scream in a horror movie? A real murder. A girl was murdered. That's right. This is his guilt and his failure to save the girl he had saved in the beginning, only to lose her later. And uh, now we know what it takes to make horror serious. It has mm -hmm. got to get at what's really evil. So from the point of view of De Palma, like with Flannery O'Connor, the problem with pornography and horror is that they're sentimental, none that they're pornography and horror. They mm -hmm. give you a, a silly kind of sentimental gratification. Horror doesn't confront evil any more than pornography confronts our eroticism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Their fake images is what the problem is. At the end, you get real horror, and that's, that's right. much harder to bear. And it's all happening to this guy. His, yes. his John Travolta, what do we know about John Travolta? He's a charmer, but he's also a sleaze. Mm -hmm. He's a kind of weird, eccentric American that is also strangely adorable, as it were. He is celebrity material, but there's some crack in that statue somewhere, and he's going to fall apart. You, you know in right. advance that he's not going to be up on that pedestal for long. <laughs> in the beginning, you see both his disdain for the industry he works in. Mm -hmm. What the hell does it matter if you get new wind? You got the sound banks, just use them. Who cares? Yeah. Right. As if the audience could tell old wind from new wind. It's, uh... <laughs> exactly. But 
the films he's making are just kind of incredibly ephemeral, right? I mean, he claims they've made five films in two years with all these just kind of corny titles. And, you know, the movie begins with this kind of joke. It is pretty funny about the scream that they're looking at. But then the ending is a kind of a joke, but we realize this joke is not funny at all. Because, like you said, the scream that is used in the film is the real scream of a murder. And so there is something that the film can't capture about the reality of the tragic elements that this movie wants to point us towards. You know, De Palma just immediately in this opening scene, he wants us to be aware of the way in which the movie he's telling us is itself constructed and that what we see is not necessarily what's going on because the credits show or, or the production company's insignia shows and you hear a heartbeat and then the next thing you know with this kind of goofy music, we're in co-ed frenzy. You know, you're watching one of these movies, the psycho killer from his point of view as he walks up to the co-ed dormitory and girls are dancing topless and they're listening to rock and roll and they're all fighting with each other because one's trying to study and they're taking showers or having sex or whatever's going on. As we follow this killer into the shower and he's about to stab the girl in the shower and she screams and it's this horrible scream and then we see, ah, we're not watching this movie. Rather, we're watching the director and the sound man trying to sync the movie and edit the movie properly. And this scream is horrible. They need to get a real scream. And it's a pretty amusing scene. And that's when we realize, you know, John Travolta, he doesn't think he has anything to do with this movie. He's just a sound man. And it's not something he takes a lot of pride in, but it's job. How did he end up here? You know, we'll learn a little bit later on, but it's just something he's just happened into because he was good with radios and recording and had some military training. And so he ends up making movies. Why not? It's a job. And yet, accidentally doing his job, now he finds himself as a role where he can really be a hero. Go save somebody who's in the bottom of a creek and is about to drown because of a, what seems to be a car accident. And he doesn't hesitate. He drops his stuff, swims in there, saves this girl. He's a real hero there at that moment. He's not able to save the driver, but one is better than none, right? The woman survives and the man doesn't. Yeah. So from the beginning, the Palma is trying to attract our attention to the fact that it's all made up so that we learn that in a movie, everything is put together on purpose artfully so it cannot correspond to our experience which has a certain irreducible character you don't know what's gonna happen if you fully understand the beginning you can tell what the last scene is going to be you're gonna get the real scream mm -hmm. you think you're playing with horror no you're going to get real horror evil mm -hmm. that's the logic of tragedy it has a certain inevitability mm -hmm. but why well i don't know that's why you watch the movie you know yeah. how it ends in advance but you still have to watch it to find out what happened mm -hmm. Even if you know the end, there's still something irreducible to the character of our experience. There's just something mysterious about being human. You know, you have to go through it. It's interesting, before he records the crash, you know, of course, this would only be known through a second viewing. And we see John Travolta, he's doing different tapes for wind and shoes walking down a hallway. And then we hear one for a gunshot. And then we hear one for a body falling. And as he's doing this, you have this kind of split screen going on of a television broadcast about the governor who's going to show up in Philadelphia to give a speech. You know, so when they mention the governor, you hear gunshot, right, in the other left-hand column. And then you see body fall. And so we already see here the ending of the movie. Of course, upon first viewing, you'd never know that. 
Even if you didn't know it, it wouldn't matter because you have to see how these events play themselves out, how it leads to a necessary ending, and how that joke at the beginning has to be inverted and really show that there's something inherently tragic and not funny at all, not laughable at all, about a world that has deep corruption in it from the top. You know, obviously the president on down to the bottom. We're going to see some of the scuzziest characters, you know, that you could imagine on screen. Dennis Franz in a wonderful performance of just one of the scummiest characters you could imagine, just played to the hilt. And yep. so we have to see how this plays out. So you have to go through it, even though De Palma's kind of giving you everything you need to know right there in that opening shot. Yeah, you're right. It's a joke, but it's not funny. De Palma is filling the movie with instances of tragic irony. People who say exactly what's going to happen, images that show you exactly what's going to happen in ways you just can't understand at the time that can only make sense in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Here again, art is used to reproduce something about our experience. Mm -hmm. There are things we only understand in hindsight, and maybe that means when it's too late. That's right. You know, the owl that he records at the beginning, of course, is at night and takes flight at night, right? So it's just the owl of Minerva, who knows? But yes. De Palma's telling us at the beginning, so we have a certain knowledge at the beginning. But somehow that's not going to be useful or available for us in a practical way to stop what's going on. Yeah. You've got John Travolta at the peak of his first fame after Greece and Saturday Night Fever, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But here he is even sleazier than there. And in as much as the movie is a tragedy, it's telling you don't be that guy. But of course, it's also telling you there's actually something admirable about this guy precisely because, as you said, he does the noble thing. He steps in like a hero. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot in him that's about the aspiration to do justice, to punish corruption. And he's not just a hero. He's an everyman. He's an all-American hero. That is to say, a guy who doesn't want to be played for a sucker. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to end up on top of the world necessarily. He loathes himself for being at the bottom of the world because he knows mm -hmm. he deserves better. But at least this much he has to get not to be played for a sucker, not to be exploited by corrupt people. Don't piss down my leg and tell me it's raining. Yeah, it's sure. one thing for things to be bad. It's another thing for people to lie to you that no, actually they're good and you should be happy. No, mm -hmm. it's just a miserable situation. It's one thing to have to deal with it. It's another thing to have to lie to yourself that miserable stuff is great. It's a conflicted character we shouldn't envy, but someone we should understand and pity because there's a touch mm -hmm. of greatness in him and a desire to do right. That's right. And on the other hand, the beginning also establishes the director's own position. It's a crazy thing to do exploitation movies because like the protagonist, you'd end up full of self-loathing. The real point is to deal with what the hell has happened to our society, with our paranoia on the one hand and our eroticism at the other end. Mm -hmm. And where does the dark side of the soul and the happy sunshine stuff come together? In being a peeping Tom, actually. <laughs> right? There's all the shame and the guilt and the illegality, the dark stuff, but there is also, beside that self-loathing, the desire for love at some level. Mm -hmm. Just like the opening establishes a brief history of crazy in America, you end up with the scene from Psycho that started all of this stuff, right? Yes. The, the shower murder. That's right. But this is the 80s, not 1960, so you get to see the girl's breasts. That's why they mm -hmm. hired her. It's an exploitation mm -hmm. thing. In a sense, we have become far more honest about how screwed up we are. But in another sense, we've started to exploit that, which is yes. crazy because we're only exploiting ourselves. There's also the scene from John Carpenter's Halloween, 
the point of view site of the murderer and the people having sex and this other girl who wants to study which is the plot of Halloween Jamie Lee Curtis just wants to get to college and these other people are parting their lives away because right. that's their rebellion against their suburban parents and like John Carpenter like Hitchcock Brian De Palma is here to ask you what is the titillation about is it naked chicks or murder and mm -hmm. you don't know for sure. That's because right. Because both are there. Both are part of our entertainment. Both are part of the passions of our hearts and of the fantasies we consume on screens. And this may seem like the low life as opposed to the decent entertainment decent people consume, which is the news. But mm -hmm. actually, yeah. now and then in America, the political news is pretty insane itself. Sure it is. And this brings us to the accident on the bridge that leads to a car in the creek. That has got to be a reference to Teddy Kennedy killing that innocent girl at Chappaquiddick in 69. Sure. Of course, Brian De Palma is a poet and a patriot, so he does justice. In his movie, it's the politician who dies and the girl who survives. He improves <laughs> on real life. Again, That's it's, right. it's bitter humor. He's really funny, but it's also very bitter because of the yes. evil that actually took place. And of course, Teddy Kennedy got away with it. He didn't just get away with murder, but got a great political career. And at the end, everybody from politics to the church was there to celebrate him when he died. That's right. That girl who was innocent and he killed her by his negligence when he drove that car into the ditch and left her to die. Yeah, she didn't nope. get any of the respectability or the praise. So He's that's forgotten. politics in America. Yep. And of course, there's the other aspect, the sex scandal. There's this moral politician who's caught with a woman of questionable morals, let's say, or negotiable affection. How shall we put it? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, it's all over the news now that Donald Trump and before him Bill Clinton or at the same time are involved with this scumbag Jeffrey Epstein. That's right. Yeah. And who's going to jail pleading on prostitution. And it turns out that his plea agreement is going to kill the case against him because apparently mm -hmm. there are these super important politicians and God knows who else involved in the sex scandals that go way beyond prostitution and seem to involve everything from rape to child pornography mm -hmm. or child enslavement. Mm -hmm. And all of it is going to be shushed up. So it's Brian De Palma right from the headlines. Yeah, right. I know. You know, and that's the scene. So when you move from the crash to the emergency room and the governor's assistant shows up, the police are there, the doctors are there, the police interview him, and then finally the governor's assistant interviews him and says, look, just forget about what you saw, forget about what you did. Now one, on the one hand, John Travolta's heroic act doesn't get to be praised, it doesn't get to be known. But on the other hand, as Travolta tells the governor's assistant, yeah, but that's not the truth. The people ought to know what happened here. After all, this was the governor. This wasn't just any old person. And we're told he was going to be the next president, or at least surely the next nominee. But we're told, well, you know, his wife wouldn't want to know this. But of course, probably nobody wants to know this because everybody is involved with this. And so you can't expose that. And so we're going to see the lengths to which these individuals and in the higher echelons in society will go to prevent that kind of exposure like with this Epstein character to a certain extent, the lengths in which people will go to prevent this from being revealed. Because there is a moralism, despite this kind of decay you see in society, in the Philadelphia of that time, the movie studios right above a triple X movie theater, right? And obviously five movies in two years, people must be loving to go see these kind of exploitation movies. And yet you expose a moralistic politician, as it said, with his hand in the cookie jar, you know, well then that can ruin his career. But somehow they're successful. They keep it from getting into the press, or at least they attempt to stop it. 
This makes John Travolta angry. You know, this is unjust to him, unjust to America, unjust to the girl. He's going to do whatever is required to get the truth out there. Now, at this point, he doesn't realize there was any conspiracy. It was just an accident. But it ought to be known that this governor was with this woman in the water. But nope, it's going to be covered over. She's going to get paid off. They pay her money to flee town, right? He can just be forgotten. All he has is, at this point, just an audio tape recording of an explosion. Wow, big deal. Like, that doesn't mean a thing. But John Travolta's got to piece the things together, and he'll sync it with video. Eventually, he'll get the original video stock, and now he's got what he needs to kind of show this. And that would have been effective on the TV crowd. The journalist wants to get a hold of that. He's the Woodward and Bernstein of his era on television. He wants to expose this corruption, too. And this would have ruined a lot of careers had it been revealed. But it's not going to happen for us. Yep, and that's a great comparison. All the president's men, Woodward and Bernstein, those guys weren't journalists. They were stooges for what we now call the deep state. <laughs> a high, right, a really powerful appointed official in the FBI fed them information and they published it as he saw fit. That's, That's right. not journalism. No. You're mm-hmm. just putting a megaphone into some politicians who want to destroy other politicians. That's right. Because mm-hmm. you like those guys and you hate the other guy in Nixon. Mm-hmm. Whatever the justice or the case, this was a crazy thing to applaud as heroism. In this other case, you see a guy who's actually trying to be heroic, but it's not going to work because he doesn't <laughs> have the institutions of the state on his side. They're in fact arrayed against him. It's not as anybody going to hurt him or prosecute him or harass him even. It's just that nobody cares that mm-hmm. this piety about family values, let's not say the ugly truth, the man just died, speak no ill of the dead, don't humiliate his wife. We didn't say the ugly truths about Kennedy after he died. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you can't. You just can't. Respectability means that powerful people can get away with murder. That's one version of liberty in the year of the Liberty Bell. That's right. And, of course, then there's this guy who sort of gets in the way. Nobody counts on him. John Travolta. And, as you put it, in his angry quest for justice, he becomes a movie director. He's yes. got a sync sound and image and figure out what it all means and make sure that it packs a punch and try to get it to the audiences. Of course, he fails in this endeavor. And that's the difference between Brian De Palma and John Travolta. Brian De Palma did get his movie about political conspiracy and the truth about corruption in American politics. He did get it to the audience. Mm. Unfortunately, he also failed in his own sort of tragic way. Not only does he not have the reputation he deserves, but because he doesn't have that reputation, people don't pay enough attention to his movies. Mm -hmm. And this is considered schlock, but All the President's Men was a contender for the Oscar. That's right. That was a stupid movie and a lie. This is a great Mm -hmm. movie that teaches you a lot about not being manipulated by our media-saturated world, not being manipulated by institutionalized power that hides evil stuff behind respectability, and indeed not being manipulated by your own passions, by the desires that might lead you into exploitative entertainment consumption. Mm -hmm. You know, this movie, compared to our previous two, so here we see a society that is much more media-saturated. On the one hand, you have these exploitation movies. They must be popular. People are going to see them. As you said, that shows a kind of strange ambivalence between wanting to see somebody get killed in a love of violence, and yet at the same time, this erotic excitement you can see from you know young naked girls and sex and so forth. And yet this is all just kind of playfulness. And then connected with that is television news media 
which, as you said, if you get this stuff out there, Americans will learn the truth and they will be rightly outraged as well. The problem is getting it out there. But the television spends a lot of its time just talking about Liberty Day and how there's going to be a wonderful parade on Liberty Day and how great Liberty is. Of course, the red, white, and blue and Liberty play throughout this movie as a color palette, as advertisements. We see this notion of Liberty in just kind of ordinary Philadelphia throughout the movie. But like you said, we don't see that Liberty of those at the top who are completely outside of this, able to be not indifferent, but just removed from it and untouchable and invisible. The president is an invisible character here. The actual sitting president is, or his campaign at least, is the one who hired the guy to get the photos of the governor so that you could discredit him in the press. And then the president wouldn't have to worry about having to actually try to defeat him, you know, more legitimate means at the ballot box. And they are able just to completely stay outside of this. And so none of that is ever exposed. Like you said, that's one kind of liberty to remain above, outside, untouchable, invisible, and yet in a way kind of pull all the strings of power. And anybody who calls that out is just seen as a conspiracy theory kook. When Jack, the John Travolta character, keeps trying to tell the cops about this, the cop keeps saying, you know, oh, gosh, you're just a conspiracy theorist, right? You know, who are they? Communists, you know? Is it Ayatollahs running in the street, we're told, right? Yeah, well, we know who's they. Unlike the other movies, De Palma does show us a bit of they. We at least see the man they hired out, the John Lithgow character, who is truly psychotic, very talented, but willing to do whatever is needed to cover his tracks behind the shooting out of the tire that led to the blowout. So De Palma shows us a lot of this behind the scenes, whereas in Blow Up, we know there's a murder, but we have no idea exactly what it was about, who was involved, who shoot it. In the conversation, well, the final reveal is, okay, yes, these couple, they were plotting the whole time to kill her husband, but we don't really know anything about them. Here, we can see some of the machinations going there, and that does help the audience get a lot more involved in this. It makes it less, as you said, theoretical and much more practical because it makes it much more popular fare. This is somewhat of an action suspense thriller movie. And John Travolta is going to have to, you know, of all people, as you noted, but he's going to have to be the one who's going to perform our action hero in this. And you know, there's something about his character we know just by the look of him. This is probably not going to work out. And we learn things from his past where we know he's already failed anyway. What led him into exploitation movies, prior to that, he worked for the police. He was hired out by the police for his recording and surveillance abilities, just like Harry Call. Well, yet he made a goof. He was going to expose police corruption. You know, Serpico in Philadelphia. The cops were extorting money from the mafia. If they would get the money from the mafia, they wouldn't prosecute various members of the mafia. And he was going to get all this on tape and expose all these corrupt cops. But he messed up, put a wire on somebody. It led to some technical difficulties. The wire was found and that guy was murdered by the mafia. John Travolta failed and he dropped out of that. And of course, he's racked with a certain degree of guilt. He's angry at corruption. He wants truth to be exposed, to bring about justice. And yet this led him to a responsibility that led to the death of an innocent person. So now he becomes guilty. He innocently wants to expose the truth, but somehow he is guilty as well. And this is so debilitating to him that the best he can find as a job and maybe all he can hack doing is working for just cheesy exploitation movies. Even though he knows he's better than that, he wants to distance himself from it. You know, he's made five movies in two years. He, nobody's holding a gun to his head, as it were. Yeah. He talks to the girl he saves and in whose fate he becomes invested. He doesn't talk to anybody else, but he talks to her. And you see that like Harry Cole in the conversation, 
he needs to believe that the girl is innocent. Mm -hmm. And so also our protagonist in Blow Up, David, he too wanted to believe that the girls he was involved with and sort of exploiting, sort of making famous, that they were innocent. When one of them turns out to have been a part of a conspiracy to murder and that she suckered him too, he is surprised. Mm -hmm. Why do these men want to believe that women are innocent? It's two things. One of them is they want a certain degree of dominance and power. They want to save women. Or in the case of the guy who just exploits them or makes them famous, he does it on his terms. He mm -hmm. wants to be in charge, order people around. But there's another reason why these men want to believe women are innocent. They would like to live in a world where skill wins, where expertise or excellence wins, and there's no problem with intrigue, with mm -hmm. corruption, no plotting, let's say. Why mm -hmm. do these movies have plots? That's what we really want, no plotting. So also with John Travolta on the one hand, if he's going to be saving this girl, playing knight errant, if he's going to be her champion, then she had better be innocent. He doesn't want to be suckered, for example, yes. by a corrupt woman. On the other hand, he needs somebody who will listen to him, somebody who cannot hurt him or look down on him because he saved her. She owes him, as he tells her. What it turns out that she owes him is to listen to his story and to be good enough to be worth saving. Unfortunately, she's not quite mm -hmm. up to snuff. And he tells her, like, I was just a confused kid. I was good at radios. I would do that sort of stuff because I was good at it. And then high school was over. And what was I going to do with my life? I don't know. I went into the army. That's what you do. It was the biggest <laughs> institution in America. The road to some kind of advancement, stability. They'll get your head screwed on straight. It's the, the military. So he did that. And he plied his trade there as well. And they used the knowledge he had. But they never gave him anything. And at some point he dropped out. And then he went into something that really shows his heart. As much as his spontaneous gesture of jumping into the water trying to save whoever's in that car. He went into police work not to be a policeman. But only to use his expertise to expose corruption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hatred of corruption, hatred of yes. the oligarchic and tyrannical implications of corruption, that is to say that the institutionalized power can get away <coughs> with murder, can exploit the rest of us. That's the most American thing there is. Mm -hmm. And that's what he went to do and he failed at it because he was outside of the institution. And he learned mm -hmm. the hard way that all the success he had didn't add up to anything for the one failure he had. That was enough to doom him both personally and professionally. His career in respectable uh, doing of justice was over and his own heart was perverted, tainted by the guilt he felt for the man yes. who died because of him. There's never been a path to heroism for him. It's a red, white and blue movie. Mm -hmm. The motel rooms at Liberty Motel are red, white and blue. <laughs> but there's no path to patriotism. Yeah. Our guy tried to be the right kind of guy to go into the army, to go into police, to help the people against the powerful. He's tried to be the all-American hero. And mm -hmm. he's at the bottom of the pile, while corrupt murderers are at the top. Yep. And that's really hard to live with. That's the kind of moral realism you see in the lower classes. Sure, you love America. Sure, being American is all there is, but it hurts. Mm -hmm. There's too much suffering and too much heartbreak. And in this case, you see that it corrupts the guy because he wants his unusual powers with media, his unusual ability not to be deceived by what deceives everybody else. He wants to use that to save America. Mm -hmm. Why won't America let him be the savior? Why won't this girl let him be her savior? He tries mm -hmm. to direct her, tell yes, her he what does. to do, how yeah. to act, put her mm -hmm. in the scene, do the recording. Why won't she listen? Why doesn't anybody really listen? 
And that's how you end up a nutcase. That's how you end up a conspiracy theorist. It's a very sympathetic portrait. The nutcase here is the most charming guy in America at that time. That's right. Still, there is this sense that moral outrage, deserved righteous anger, can corrupt your heart. That doing the right thing and failing at it could destroy you psychologically and morally Mm -hmm. and lead to tragedy. Yeah. I mean, here he failed as serving the cops. It turns out he didn't really fail. Apparently, the activities he did with this commission brought several cops to justice. But of course, it also led to the killing of this one undercover cop. Now he's just by happenstance fallen into this example again where he can once again, and maybe this time, you know, not let those guys get away with it. Right. And he says throughout, you know, they're not going to screw me. Right. I'm not going to be a sucker this time. This time I'm going to do it right. He has that motivation. He acts upon it in a natural manner, saving the girl in the water without a moment's thought. And as he begins to uncover that there is more of a plot here, that it wasn't a blowout, that the car was, the tire was shot. You know, he has to get the girl on his side. And so he has to tell her in part his story, right, to get her to listen to it. But it's interesting when he mentions the military ends up not being part of it. And as she's listening and she's, oh, were you in a war? He's like, no, I was just in New Jersey doing communications, right? But then when he tells the cop story and she says, wow, that's real life. That's something going on there. So in a way, though, he has at least captured her enough. She misses her train. You know, she's been paid money to get out of town. So now she's going to stay in. But of course, he then thinks, well, then, yes, exactly. I can direct her. So you have that whole last quarter of the movie where she's going to be his character in his movie to get on tape and do it right this time to kind of foil the plot. But his reliance upon technology is going to be this failure. He thinks that just getting good recordings, once again, that's going to solve it. But he has to do something else and he's too late. He doesn't save the girl. I've heard people criticize this movie. There's a supposed plot hole. What happens is he finally gets the original stock of the film, syncs it with the audio. It's as clear as day on this movie that this was a tire that was shot out. There was a conspiracy going on here. And he has the reporter who is now going to interview him and they're going to go on live TV and they're going to show this and this is going to be exposed to the world and everybody's going to know this. But the John Lithgow character, Burke, is now trying to cover all the tracks. You know, He's trying to foil John Travolta and he does something to his phone to where John Travolta's phone doesn't ring as he's waiting for the reporter's call. So eventually he decides, well, why doesn't he just pick up the phone and call the reporter, right? So people point this out as some kind of a plot hole. I don't think it is because John Travolta can't, his character, he can't trust anyone. He doesn't trust this reporter. You compared it to all the president's men. There we have these reporter knights who are all good to expose this corruption. Well, John Travolta doesn't believe this guy on TV. He knows who he is, but he doesn't know this guy is just as bad as anybody else or could be just as much of a tool of anyone else. Only he alone can do it. And yet it's not going to work out because it turns out that the Burke character is the one who is posing as the reporter. Sally, the Nancy Allen character, is talking to him and he's going to distract her and ultimately kill her. There's no way in which John Travolta seems to think he can just directly act. He has the right motivation. He has the skill of recording sound and of making movies. He has the girl in his movie, but there doesn't seem the way which he could just directly act. And part of that is because he's aware of something in this society that he's been suckered so many times that he realizes that uh, you can't just simply turn to the media to do this. 
You can't just simply turn to the police. After all, the police don't trust him. He's already put a bunch of theirs behind bars. And so he's thrown back on his own. Yep. So this is a far more political movie. And unlike in the previous two movies, the first thing this guy does is talk to the police. He gets mm -hmm. evidence. Yeah. The first thing he does is take it to the police. Yeah. Because that's how you deal with things in America. That's the modern world. And this is a far more political movie. The other guys in the other two movies were avoiding the police at all times. Nevertheless, as you say, he descends into paranoia because he realizes you can't really trust anybody. He kind of wants to trust the reporter, but in the scenes, Brian De Palma shows you something that is still true of journalists today on Twitter. The, the reporter talks about himself in the third person and <laughs> brags yeah. about how he can get 8 million people to listen, as yeah. though he's the true power in America, as though he's the true representative of the people. So these of people course, are yeah. the, live out the stupidest but most common delusion of our times, which is that you can rule through speeches, literally. That if yes. you say the right words, then the people are going to obey you. This is insane, but everybody believes it at some level. And reporters just embody it, journalists. Politicians, as we see, are more involved in actually doing corrupt things because they're more practical. They know that speeches don't go that far. Mm -hmm. Speeches mm -hmm. can cover your ass, maybe. But, mm -hmm. you know, you got to get your hands dirty first. That's true. <laughs> And John Travolta is, on the one hand, descending into paranoia because not even this reporter is trustworthy, but on the other hand, he realizes something is not right with the story that the girl tells him, that the reporter called her and wants this meetup and so on and so forth. He does it and wires her for it because he wants to solve the problem himself. He wants to get to the bottom of the conspiracy. It's not mm -hmm. a plot hole. There is a mistake that the character makes as all tragic right. heroes make the mistake. And you can see why. He believes in his expertise. Who's the man mm -hmm. who can uncover this conspiracy? This pretty boy reporter who talks about himself in the third person? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> the, the hero, That's right. The guy who got all the evidence, who worked hard, who did everything right up to now, he's the only one who can get it done. He's not just paranoid. He's full of himself because there's nothing else. And he has been more heroic and more successful than everybody else. But he has a certain weakness that is tied up with this girl. Yes. He trusts her to go in with the wire and act out his script to solve the thing. But he doesn't trust her in other ways. He never runs through things with her to try to persuade her the right way to get on the same page. Yeah. He just wants to order her around because he doesn't trust that she's smart enough because she plays dumb. That's and right. she plays dumb because she doesn't trust anybody. She says she does what she does, which is try to entrap men into sexual indiscretion so that her partner will film them or take photos for blackmail purposes or yeah. divorce cases or things like that. Because that's what she can do to get money to live a pleasant life, to get some of that Hollywood glamour that she talks to John Travolta about. Yes. But she has learned to play dumb because that's what men expect of her. Her partner in crime thinks that she should just shut up and do the job, take the money and maybe have sex with him. That's Dennis Franz, the great miserable character <laughs> in the movie. And John Travolta thinks that she should shut up and listen to him and do what he tells her. That's what mm -hmm. men are like. And so that's what she has learned. That if you want to outsmart men, you have to play dumber than you are. Mm -hmm. These guys are bragging that they're better than they are. She's the opposite. She's pretending to be less than she is. Mm -hmm. Because of but this John, mutual misunderstanding, they cannot you know, John come Travolta's together and character, do it right. You know, John Travolta's character, I think he comes across to her a little bit different compared to, say, the Manny Carp character, the photographer, let alone all the men that she deals with in bed or in the car who are just trying to get in her skirt and so on. 
he never makes any advances at her. But there is a hint at a possibility that if and when all of this is done, they can go off to New York or have a vacation. And who knows? Maybe there's a budding romance here. Something a little... Sure, one kiss. Yeah. And so maybe there's something else to John Travolta. Of course, he doesn't fully trust her and she doesn't fully trust him. And we can see that she's not as dumb because she uses good deception first to steal the film from Manny. And then when he tries to rape her, well, then she just grabs a bottle of scotch and smashes it on his head and doesn't hesitate to walk out there. And even the tone of her voice when she realizes that Manny is keeping money from her, you know, immediately that girlish, silly, ditzy, blonde routine she's been doing, that facade drops a bit, right? You know, so she understands to a certain extent that this is how she has to act around them. And the men are unaware of that. And so John Travolta thinks, well, I've got this kind of dumb girl who's going to do what I say and I can use her as a kind of a prop to tape this journalist or whoever it is and get it all on tape and solve this conspiracy. And then we can go off happily ever after. But it's precisely his inability to see what's going on with this Nancy Allen character. She's not as much of a tool, in other words, of men as the men who use her like a tool seem to think she is. And that is part of his downfall, for sure. Yeah. And there is something wrong with the fact that he doesn't put the moves on her. That's revealed in a humorous way in the fact that he tries to have her take the meeting, be wired and do that recording. He is repeating his deadly moment of guilt when he got a guy wired and he died because of it. But he's also acting out his impotence again. Mm Mm-hmm. Dolman's going to have to do the job because he can't perform. And this is part of Brian De Palma's humor about heroism and male posturing. At the end, you know, the bad guy gets the girl. That is to say, murders her and he kills the bad guy. And there is something to that murder and this sort of revengeful killing that is righteous but insane against Mm -hmm. the blaring lights of the flag (laughs) behind them. Repeated stabbings is just shocking. And you see that this is the only way he has been able to work out his emotions. In a certain way, he was impotent. Yes, well, you know, I mean, that's the, I suppose, make it obvious, but the penetration with the ice pick. But that's done murdering the bad guy. You know, and if you think from the opening scene, what's he been doing the last two years? Watching naked women on a screen, but not having any real life encounters with women. He's, you know, what today people would call the porn addict. Yep. So not making the move on the girl, because there's plenty of opportunity. I don't know how many days this is going on, but they were in a hotel room for crying out loud together. It does show a certain distance, but he has to get something out of him. First, he needs to stop being such a spectator and voyeur and peeping Tom. He needs to act. And he needs but to think he also that success. Mm-hmm. It's not just recovering his dignity. You're not going to make a sucker out of me. But success mm-hmm. here, unraveling the conspiracy, would restore his manliness to him. Uh-huh. Another it's... reason why he doesn't go to the reporter. This male posturing of the reporter. I'm the hero that 8 million people bow to. Well, screw you. You know, there's might be something with his guilt, too, that he can't seem to get over. Because he has guilt for the inadvertent killing of the undercover cop. But, you know, there's as people speak of things like guilty pleasures. I mean, what has he been doing for the last two years, but just making cheapo, softcore porno movies with a lot of violence in it that I suppose people would say, oh, it's not harming anyone, right? But it's harming his soul, right? And this gives him a guilty feeling as well. And that guilt makes him impotent, right? To act 
to do the right thing for justice, but also to act in an overt, more erotic way with the Sally character. And at the end, yes, it comes in that climax of having to kill Burke with the ice pick, penetrate him, what Burke had been using to kill all the women throughout the city, but he had already killed the object of John Travolta's affection. And so she's gone, the body's gone, and all he has is the recorded scream. And once again, you know, no knowledge of at least somewhat of a heroic act or an attempted of heroic act. I mean, we have this crazy sequence of him driving around Philadelphia in his Jeep, Jeep Renegade, and Liberty Day Parade is going on. The fireworks are about to happen. But he has to get to where the fireworks are to save the girl. Only he knows what's really going on. And he crashes. You know, it disrupts the parade. He crashes into a storefront window that has a revolutionary scene of two mannequins. And one, I would imagine a Tory, is being hanged from a tree. That's what you do to the enemies of liberty. You have to kill them, right? But now it's only a storefront window. And then as he walks towards the girl, he had cut his forehead and he has bloody band over his head like the great heroes of 76. But he can't get there in time. And that's why at the end, he's more crushed than ever. And he has been made a sucker. And he fully well knows this. And his own abilities on his own to avoid that fate and to be a hero just completely failed. Yeah. So in the beginning, he's full of self-loathing, but he knows he doesn't belong in this softcore porn industry. At the end, he thinks that's exactly where he belongs. There's no escape for yeah. him. And you're right that he does try to enact the all-American patriot thing to do. He's trying to go save the girl, kill the bad guy, expose the truth, help the people, fight off their oligarchic oppressors who are distant, invisible, and seem invulnerable. They're the ones who have liberty in the sense that they don't have to deal with the consequences of their actions. Everybody else, liberty for them is sort of like chaos. In between, there's this guy who can record sound, and sound is like a gun. You have to aim it at something to record the sound, and you see he's very good at it. Nevertheless, he can't act. He is not strong enough. That's his particular doom. He cannot entrust himself to institutions like the police and media. And on the other hand, he cannot let it go either. And he's caught in between and he is morally destroyed by the loss of this girl. Only then does he realize just how much she meant to him because mm-hmm. he loses her. Yeah. And that again yeah. deals with his inability to deal with her better. And of course, the girl herself kind of looks down on him and thinks that, yeah, she's going to do this, take the meeting, get this done with, and so forth, and it turns out to get her killed. At the end, you get this view again of what's it like to live in America. We all think we get the facts, that we have objectivity, we can trust things. But in fact, we live in a world of media saturation that is invariably politically corrupt or at any rate at risk and questionable. Mm -hmm. The papers give you the story neat, like you'd find it Mm -hmm. in a book, The sex murderer was killed by his last victim. Isn't that all American? Justice was done. Sure, the girl is dead, but she killed the guy. A woman killed an evil man, so that's progressive as well. And it's all wrapped up neatly with a bow. We don't need to question anything or deal with anything further. Everybody who was involved in violence is dead, so we can put the past behind us. We don't have to ask ourselves, what is the truth about violence in America? Mm -hmm. This guy has got the only sort of evidence that nobody else considers evidence, the scream. It haunts him, everybody else ignores it. He has learned the truth about violence in America, that Americans prefer respectability and they won't protect the innocent Mm -hmm. because they would have to look at what's wrong with themselves. 
People just want to have themselves a nice Liberty Day celebration. All the patriotism you can put on TV, in the streets, in the parade, but mm -hmm. none of the actual work of exposing corrupt, powerful people and destroying them if they threaten our liberty. We yeah. like the show of liberty far more than the deeds of liberty. And however violent the show is, like the patriots hanging the British, yeah. We might not have the moral fortitude anymore to actually do that, to actually destroy yeah. the powerful. Yeah, I think that's right. Television puts forth either, either a sanitized notion of liberty that we could live with today that's unserious because it would never call us to make sacrifices or to do deeds that we don't know if we have it within our character to be able to take that type of action, such as a hanging of a traitor. You know, you have the other side, and that's the television. You know, you can even talk about the Liberty Day killer. It's just a serial killer. We can live with some kind of random serial killer. There are psychos out there, and they will, from time to time, take action. And it's just a tragedy of modern life, but what are you going to do? Now, of course, we know, and John Travolta knows, that that's not what's going on. But it seems that's palatable to the public. But maybe even that's not satisfying, because if you have the juxtaposition of, yay, it's Liberty Day, you know, and look at all we've accomplished in America 200 years, and what a wonderful place to live, and look at our prosperity and so on. And yet, of course, you have some psychos out there who occasionally do ice pick killings and so on. Well, then that's why you would have the five exploitation murder movies, right, that people just love to go see. That way you can combine the look of Philadelphia with this kind of seediness. And then, yes, there's a serial killer out there. Or we learned there was a teacher's strike even in one of the news reports. But you know that I don't want to see. Sally character says, I don't watch the news. It depresses me. So what do you have? You have exploitation movies that matches to a certain point the corruption or the violence you see in the world, but it's sentimentalized, it's play acting, it's gonna have a resolution, you know, the killer will die in the end, you know, somebody will heroically kill Mike Myers and we can move on. But I don't think the Palma is kind of leaving us with that. Uh, Nancy Allen's scream becomes the scream in the movie. The real murdered woman is gonna be the scream that's put upon the girl in the shower. So Hard to live with. That's impossible to live with, really. It's. Uh, and this, of course, was not a popular movie precisely for no. that reason. Who wants downer ending, man? Yeah. But the poem is trying to say the real shameful stuff, there's way worse stuff than pornography or horror movies in America. That's not where the corruption is. No offense to the moral majority, but that's not where the real corruption is. That's the right. real corruption is in powerful people who are using institutions for their own ends. And in the people who do not want to notice this because it would require too much of them to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It won't suffice to say, I'm angry and I'm not going to take in more of it. Yeah, right. And that's this grandiose conspiracy. You know, I mean, what do we have a blending here of the Kennedy assassination, Chappaquiddick, you know, Watergate's all thrown into one. You know, who knows what other kinds of things that De Palma's playing with in here. And then we have this character, Burke, who, in order to cover it over, is willing to pose as a serial killer who brutalizes women, ice picking them to death in the shape of a liberty bell, all to cover this over, right? And seemingly just doing it without any kind of qualms in the slightest bit. And this is somehow connected to the sitting president of the United States. Well, this is comic book cartoonish. But once again, this is kind of De Palma's point. Okay, maybe they're not hiring people out to pose as serial killers, right? 
But what they are doing is use public institutions, government in this case, or quasi-public institutions that we all use every day, say in business, to insulate themselves, pull the ladder up behind them, make themselves immune from any type of criticism or exposure. You know, like you said, with this guy with his porno plane flights and so on in Florida, I think he was, I forget his name. But you see that in the headlines today. And connected to politicians, you know. Yep. Probably the only nobody's problem getting... is that the Palmer was too much ahead of his time. Had he yeah. been around doing this in the Clinton years, well, that wouldn't have worked because conservatives hate the Palmer. But say nowadays, liberals, progressives would love him if he were doing this sort of political corruption movie in the Trump era. Yeah. Like as you pointed out, though, you couldn't put the journalists as the heroes here. Instead, the journalists would simply have to be leaking whatever it was that the deep state was giving them, right? Yep. And why was that? Because that was just the information that makes Trump look bad. You know, so in a way, if you did this movie today, you would still, you'd say, wow, gosh, the president is corrupt, but who is it? Right? You see, yeah, so, that's the problem. The Palma is not yeah. a friend of the journalists, and of course, he's not a friend of the Kennedys either, so... No. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess he's doomed to be unpopular. Nevertheless, yeah. he was a master and is a great filmmaker precisely because he shows you what the political problem of poetry really is. How hard it is to tell people, don't be duped by the media. How mm. hard it is after that to tell them, you know what, don't be duped by my own artful contrivances. Mm. You gotta think about this. You gotta think about your experience. You gotta be willing to examine your own heart the dark passions that take you to your entertainments, and also the kind of cowardice, not to put to find a point on it, that tells us, you know, don't watch the news, it's too much of a drag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of my friends says, I get why people feel this way, because it's hard enough just to live life, I don't want to deal with institutional <laughs> crisis when I get home. Yeah. I get it, yeah, I get it, but it's there, it's happening, and it's only been growing since Brian De Palma made a and blowout. Don't close you ought not to close your eyes to it. So you think of those highly stylized endings with the slow motion and the American flag, the fireworks scene as Travolta's cradling Nancy Allen's dead body, and you have this beautiful Pino Donaggio music. I mean, it really is gorgeous music. And so you have this horribly violent and tragic ending, but just incredibly overly beautified. And so trying to put those together, De Palma's saying, look, you have to look. And so I'm not going to give you the ending you want, but I can give you Pino Donaggio's music. I can give you this wonderful artificial shot of John Travolta's profile cradling a dead body with these gorgeous lights of fireworks in the background in slow motion of all things. This is some kind of a statement, the limits of art to be able to kind of show that reality. And yet by making it beautiful to maybe help us see it but he recognizes the limits of even his own filmmaking, of being able to speak the truth there. In a movie that's telling us almost everything is a lie, he's trying to tell us the truth somehow. It's a pretty profound statement at the end of that movie. You gotta see in America both the grandeur, but also mm -hmm. not let the spectacle conceal from you the truth that violence is done to the innocent under mm -hmm. cover of respectability. You gotta somehow be able to take all of that in. Uh -huh. That's what it's like. You want to know why you're unhappy? You want to know why you're screaming at your TV? You want to know why you're too depressed to watch the yeah. news? Because deep in your heart, you know he's right. You got to <laughs> deal with it. You can live with this.
There is a scene where Travolta is screaming at the TV set in the movie. He, she says, you know, oh, the accident. He's like, it wasn't an accident. It was a murder. <laughs> you know, that's how people are left at screaming back at the yeah, TV show. Yeah, and this is all of America now. It's just that instead of screaming at TV, we're screaming at the modern TV, which is social media, right? Yeah. We're all broadcasting as much as we can, how much we hate what's going on, and how powerless we feel, just like John Travolta. You yeah. gotta be yep. able to deal with that, and Brian De Palma's gonna help. Yep. So this concludes our trilogy on the media-saturated society, on love and death in the age of the surveillance state, and yeah. power of technology over us, our unwillingness to look at what real evil is like, our hope that through the use of our new technological powers, we can capture realities that we like and maybe just pretend the other ones don't exist. <laughs> this is all on show in these movies, and all of these movies are about... What's the role of the poet in this new age? What if, like Antonioni, you're famous for beautiful imagery and people might end up thinking that you're a silly guy beautifying all sorts of weird things? How can you justify that? Well, you'd have to confront evil. What if, like Coppola, you get the conversation, you know the story, you've got the story, that's what the director is supposed to do. And people don't want to take seriously the tragic implications of the stories you're telling. The mm -hmm. warning about the crisis of our society, it's not just a story, it's also the ugly truth about who we are. And then there's Brian De Palma trying to tell you, we all want to do better, we all want to do justice at some level, but some people are driven crazy by it and everybody else acts the part of the coward, because conscience makes cowards of us all, like Hamlet said. And that's not right. You should sort of be like the director, at least, and realize that there are limits to what you can achieve. That you cannot change the world through speeches, but you should not lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. In this movie, the good guy and the bad guy are both recorders, are both spies, are both people who are expert at capturing sound, evidence. But one of them uses it for bad purposes, and one of them uses it for good purposes. <laughs> one of them does violence to the innocent, and the other one does not. And nevertheless, it's not enough to realize that you should be using your skills and your tech powers for good, because you could still go crazy. That's yep. the ugly truth that none of us want to admit. It's okay to say, well, there's this bad guy and he's crazy, but not that good people who have righteous anger, that they could go crazy for that reason. That's inadmissible. That's right. Our anger is fine. No, it's not. It's never That's that right. simple. De Palma doesn't want us to go crazy. You do have that scene of dramatic irony, as you said, when Travolta tells the girl, we have to do this, we have to publicize this story. Either everybody will think we're crazy, right, or we'll be dead. And as you pointed out, she ends up being dead. And of course, he ends up being crazy. De Palma doesn't want us to be either dead or crazy. Tragic poetry always teaches you a certain lesson. If you look at Travolta, he's got the manly spirit and the tech power. If you look at the girl, she has a womanly spirit and a certain capacity to intrigue and plot, to become mm -hmm. invisible in plain sight because all the men underestimate her smarts. Mm -hmm. If you could put them together, you could come out of this fine, but mm -hmm. they can never come together. In terms of movie making, on the one hand, you need the expertise and the desire to film stuff. On the other hand, you need the canniness, the intelligence to write stories and plots. Yes. Plots and plotting. Conspiracy is always like the movies. Movies are always <laughs> like the conspiracies. And uh, you gotta be like the Palma, at least, a little. He's trying to help people deal better with the crazy stuff that's endemic to our world because of our politics, because of our technology. And it's never going to go away. We could deal with it better, but yeah. at the end of it, it's not going to be happy and sunshine. Yeah, I think that's right. 
John, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for suggesting that we do all this stuff in the first place. It has been great going through the 60s, 70s, and the 80s at the movies yeah. and looking at these great directors and what they understood about modern society, about America, about our love of beautiful image, about our suspicious, ceaseless searching for ugly truths and evidence, about conspiracy theories and cover-ups. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to be here, Titus. I enjoyed it very much. Learned a lot through our conversations as well. Just myself going through it and watching these movies again. It's been a real treat. And I thank you for kind of indulging me in this idea of putting these three movies together. And I hope we've shown there's a lot of things to think about in all three of them in, in relationship to each other even. So I was glad to be here. So let's find our next project. Thanks again. Okay. And take care meanwhile. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.